Welcome to, or welcome back to, the Journey Through Life podcast. This is Justin Barton. I'm the host of that podcast and really grateful to be able to share with you today this conversation I recently had with Shannon Tompkins. Now, I'm going to entitle this conversation, Nothing Stays the Same for Long. And throughout this conversation with Shannon, that theme appears over and over again, that nothing stays the same for long, whether it's good or whether it's bad, things change. And embracing that change and working towards that change is something that has helped Shannon. And now it's helping me and hopefully helping you to realize that when we're in the middle of something, whether it's super good or we feel like the whole world is coming in on us, that nothing stays the same for long. Anyways, before we get to the conversation with Shannon, do a little bit of housekeeping here. If you have not already subscribed to the Journey Through Life podcast, I would invite you to do so right now. Just scroll down on whatever um, podcast platform you're using, hit subscribe or follow or like or whatever it is that they that that podcast platform does to let you know when the next episode comes out. That way you won't miss any future episodes of the Journey Through Life podcast. Also, we have a Facebook page, um, JTL Podcast. We also have an Instagram page with the same handle, at JTL Podcast. I would invite you to come and check it out, like it, follow us, um, share us with your friends. Um, any episodes that you have listened to that you find life-changing or at least inspiring, I would be super grateful if you would share that with your friends. Just hit the share icon there in whatever pod podcast platform you're doing and share it with your friends on Facebook or Instagram or wherever else you do social media. The next thing in housekeeping is to talk a little bit about our um, sponsors, our partners. And I'll start out there with A Life Untold. I'm really grateful for that relationship we have with this perfectly fitting company, A Life Untold. We work together really well as the Journey Through Life podcast and A Life Untold. Now, what A Life Untold does that is somewhat similar to what we do with our podcast is it provides an, a, an opportunity for absolutely anyone to turn their life story into a beautifully designed hardcover book. Obviously, at the Journey Through Life podcast, we don't do that in book style. We do it in podcast style, where one can share their life and, and save it forever. Now, the hardcover book is a beautiful thing. And their process is designed to be easy for everyone. All you do is complete an interview with thought-provoking questions about your life. You can either do that online or get one of their biographers to interview you live over the phone. After the interview is complete, A Life Untold takes over and designs, prints, and delivers your life story as a hardcover book right to your door. It makes a great gift to a loved one in your life and will be a great project to do on your own. Either way, this life story, bound in a printed book, is something your family will treasure for generations. I'm grateful to announce that listeners to the Journey Through Life podcast will save 10% on all orders by using the code JUSTIN at checkout. That's J-U-S-T-I-N. Now you can find all the details there at their website at www.alifeuntold.com. Remember to use that promo code to save 10%. As mentioned in previous episodes, my mom is working on her story to put in A Life Untold, and I'm really excited to get that copy of that book when it comes in. And I now have a place of honor to keep that book, to show off to people who come in. Now this place of honor is a beautiful floating shelf that's being held up. It appears like it's floating on the wall, 
but it's being held up by shepherd brackets and these shepherd brackets floating shelf brackets just are super strong and the shelf is just beautiful it's a solid maple and i just love it i will post some pictures on it at jtlpod.com when you see it you'll notice that i have all sorts of things about baseball and my son as a very young child playing baseball and it's some things that are really important to me, some things that uh, mean a lot to me. And I think that a floating shelf is a beautiful place to keep heirlooms and other important things that you find meaningful in your life. Now, what makes Shepherd Brackets so revolutionary in the floating shelf world is their easy mount, mount anywhere bracket that you can just put anywhere on the wall and line up and hit every single stud that will fall behind that bracket. And this makes the shelf that much more strong. To check out this new revolutionary design and to save some money on any floating shelf brackets and floating shelves that you would like to purchase, go check out their website, www.shepherdbrackets.com. Shepherd is spelled S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D. And just check it out. What's really cool is through our partnership with the Journey Through Life podcast, you can save 5% on your brackets and your shelves that you buy through shepherdbrackets.com using the promo code JTLPOD5 at checkout. I'm really excited for these two partners. They're, they, they really are a great fit for the Journey Through Life podcast. Now let's move on to this awesome conversation with Shannon Tompkins. She's a somebody who I've worked with for many years and someone who I have great respect for. I think that this conversation will have a great effect on many people, but most especially perhaps on either people who struggle with addictive tendencies or, more importantly, our spouses or loved ones of people who struggle with addiction. I believe that this episode will be super powerful and super meaningful to people that fall into those categories. But don't give up on it, even if you don't fall into those categories. There is so much wisdom here, no matter where you are in life. Now here we go with Shannon Tompkins. Nothing stays the same for long. So Shannon, I'm excited to sit down and talk to you like this. I mean, we've had lots of cool conversations before in the past, but uh, I think we're going to go... We'll see how this goes. What What are your thoughts so far about this opportunity to do this? I'm excited, but I'm nervous because I feel like my life is pretty boring. And I'm, but I'm flattered that you think it might be worth talking about. Well, almost everybody I talk to says the same thing. My life's super boring. There's nothing of, of interest that I have, but I always get something out of these conversations. And I know that others do also. For me, it's super meaningful to be able to do something like this. I, uh, it helps me grow, and it gives others an opportunity to learn from from you and from others like you. So anyways, so Shannon, let's look back a little bit at your life. Look back, go back into your childhood and think about a person who had a, you know, a special influence on your life. And tell me a little bit about that person. I would say my grandfather, my maternal grandfather would be an easy choice for me. He was a very quiet person, but when he did speak, you just listened because, because he didn't talk that much. So, you, you know, it's one of those people right. you kind of, you paid attention. Um, he taught me about 
being a decent person and work ethic, I think is what he probably contributed to not just myself as his grandchild, but his children, his children's spouses, just pretty much everybody. It's pretty cool. So what did he do for a living or to, or maybe not for a living, but what did he do to put that work ethic into you and those others? I think for us, it was kind of just by example. Um, We used to joke around like holiday meals or Sunday dinners that growing up, he had a tractor for every bottom in the family that he put a roof over their head and fed. Um, And that was just kind of that carried on. Like when I was old enough, like I remember having blocks of wood on the pedals of the tractor, the riding lawnmower, learning how to, to mow the lawn. And it was just what we did. It didn't, I don't know. It wasn't like work. It's just what you do. It's part of your existence. I did learn when I got a little bit older, when I was visiting my aunt, who's um, my grandfather's, one of his daughters, Mm -hmm. that he didn't teach me that well how to mow the lawn because (laughs) I I was going in the wrong direction around her flower bed and all the grass clippings went into her freshly mulched and new flower bed. So Oops. she was like, who taught you how to, how to mow the lawn? And I said, your dad. But, <laughs> That's funny. So what, uh, what is his background where work was just a way of life? You know, that was just what you did. Um, my grandparents grew up during the depression. Mm-hmm. So it was more, I would say, probably about survival a lot at that point. And then he was actually um, an elementary school teacher. And he had twin boys in his class and quit teaching after that year Mm. and kind of ended up working his way into being a, a distributor for Detroit Diesel. In the Northeast, that's what he ended up doing, but he left his teaching career. So So that sounds like a really interesting story. He had twin boys in his class and then he stopped teaching. Yeah. What what happened there? He he didn't talk much about it other than like he would just shake his head. Um, I don't think it, I think it was challenging for him. Like I considered my grandfather a super patient person, but Mm. obviously I knew him as an older person. Mm-hmm. I don't know what type of patience he had in his probably late twenties and early thirties, mm. but I imagine, um, I know that the twins tested his patience enough so that he changed careers. Now these twins were not his own children. They were somebody no. else's children. No, somebody that, else's. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a really, that's really interesting. So is your grand, has your grandfather passed on at this point? Is he still yeah. alive? He um, passed away. So I I was going to school to be an art education teacher. And at Thanksgiving one year, he had a stroke Mm. at the dinner table. Like we were all sitting there and I didn't know what a stroke looked like. But I watched him try to pick up his peas and um, with a with a butter knife, like trying to feed himself the butter knife and My aunt and uncle are in the medical field and they knew immediately what was happening. Mm-hmm. But um, that's actually what had, like I changed my major during his recovery process, just spending time with him in the hospital, 
all the different therapists that were in and out and what are the goals, how, you know, getting him independent wow. with his ADLs and learning about what, what did his life look like at home before the stroke? What was he responsible yeah. for? Yeah. I changed my major the next semester. Interesting. And we'll get back to that, you, you know, okay. your major and what you do, but that's such an interesting story. I mean, you were in college at the time and you mm-hmm. witnessed your grandfather trying to feed himself peas with a knife. What was going through your head at that time uh, before you, before your aunt and uncle or whoever had recognized, you know, we've got a stroke happening. I just, at first I thought it was being silly or not paying attention, but then it became obvious that he was struggling, you know, he was mm-hmm. struggling and he was getting frustrated. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think fear, mm-hmm. I know. I remember fear. I remember, um, back in the Midwest, everybody has a basement. Mm-hmm. So I remember going downstairs to the basement while they, um, the adults were with him and getting him medical attention. Oh, interesting. Is there anything else about your grandfather that you'd like to share before we move on to somebody else there? Mm, no. Okay. You mentioned that you had a few people in your life that had had some effects on you. So your grandfather really was an example of hard work and just getting stuff done. Tell me about somebody else maybe and what they helped contribute to your personality. And Oh my goodness. There's so many people to choose from, but like, my aunt, I remember being a little kid. Is this the one who you mowed around her flower? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. I also just went on a, a hike with her. Oh, yeah. Up in Northern California. So from a young age, I wanted to, like my aunt was, she's I think like 12 years, 13 years younger than my mom. Mm-hmm. So she was, she was like 18 years old or something crazy when I was born. So she was young. And she was just always fun. And she is still to this day. Just growing up, she just made, always made time for my brother and I, which was cool because she didn't have to. And she had a busy social life and education, was working on her education at the time too. And I just remember always just wanting to be like her. And now as an adult, I still find myself looking to her for guidance. I don't know that I will look to her again for an idea of a weekend away after a hike, but uh, I mean, it was amazing. I'm, I'm grateful that she knew me so well to trust that I would be too busy to really look into what I signed up for <laughs> and, um, and just trust her judgment to go ahead and take that hike. Mm. Really cool. So she has been one who you've turned to for advice and for, you know, guidance, what's, what is a piece of advice or guidance that, that you recall her giving you that has been meaningful to your life? She has really helped me to stop being judgmental. Mm. And it's something that I know that she's also worked very hard to overcome. Mm. Um, And I don't know that she's given me necessarily like words of wisdom about that, but just leading by her example um, and some of the, some of the choices that she's made in her life, but she's very, she's been very successful in her career choices and, and she's worked very hard. But then a few years ago, she decided that she would like to practice yoga. And a month later she was training to be a yoga instructor and she kind of changed that then 
the conversations and the con contributions to the conversations that we that we would have as extended family, um, that she was always kind of a leader or one of the outspoken, most opinionated ones. Mm -hmm. And in those conversations, I just saw kind of a, a shift in her as she started practicing yoga. And and she's just she says namaste all the time. But she said there's two different ways to say it. She's like you can say it and mean it like peacefully, and you can say it with a little bit of anger, a little, a little bit sarcasm, a little bit of sarcasm there about it. So yeah. Huh. Um, my dad taught me and reminds me of this often. Something that his mother used to tell him, and my paternal grandmother died before, way before I was born, mm. that nothing stays the same for long. Mm. And I think about that all the time. And I remind myself of that. And I, I sometimes I catch myself writing it down when I'm frustrated, nothing stays mm. the same for long. And writing it down when, um, when I practicing like gratitude and a little gratitude journal that I do with my children, mm -hmm. um, just over and over and over again, nothing stays the same for long. So I try to take that and generalize that or make it fit in all pieces of my life rather than just what's bothering me at that moment. Because if what's bothering you at that moment, you learn that it's one piece of the picture. Mm. So while there's something I find that's not great at the time. I know it's going to it's going to change, and sometimes that doesn't always mean that it's going to get better right away. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. But truly, nothing change or nothing stays the same for long. Everything changes. It's, hmm. you know, That's a really powerful phrase to have at the forefront of your mind. I think it's one that many people know, but do they really? Do we really internalize it or really keep it at the front of our mind? Because when something difficult is happening in my life. I just want to sit there and dwell on it and go, this thing's, it, it's been forever. When right. is it ever going to get away, you know? But if I have that mindset of nothing stays the same for long, you know, I think at that point I could say, you know what, I can tough this out for a little bit longer or I can figure this, I, I can live with this, I guess, you know? You said that you sometimes will write that down in, t in moments of frustration, I'm assuming, or whatever that nothing stays the same for long. What is a time that you can think of a specific time and experience that happened where that phrase basically got you through it? And then what was the result, the end result of that? I would say, I don't know, because I feel like I just use it. Like it's just become a tool, like, uh -huh. like a writing utensil for me that I just, nothing stays the same, but like be appreciative of, this moment, but. But you have had um, experiences in your life that um, have been really trying and, and, and things, I'm sure. Are there any of those that maybe you'd like to share that this sounds really dramatic, I guess, but gone into the depths of hell and then come out the other side a better person because of those travels through those dark places, I guess. Yes. I would say the thing that stands out that I'm reminded of each day that nothing stays the same for long is my marriage. I'm really appreciative of 
being lucky enough to be um, married to somebody who believes the same. I think like my husband struggles with addiction and um, for the last, I would say almost three years, he's been amazing and all the other days ever been. Awesome. But that's another reminder that because you try not to think about that's a time that you that you don't want to say nothing stays the same for long. Right, right. <laughs> because I'm so appreciative of it, but it takes effort. When he relapsed, it it was off and on for about 16 months. After I don't know, we'd been together probably seven years, mm-hmm. and he'd been sober eight that was the time that it was hard to remind myself that nothing stays the same for long because it felt like it was never going to end. And it affected so many people. Like it's really hard to watch how addiction can affect people who didn't sign up to be part of it. Mm. Thank you for sharing that Shannon. Sorry, I'm crying. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. These are these are real conversations, and and uh, emotion is real. And I appreciate that about you, and about many people who are willing to share these types of things. That will. It's. It's also the most amazing. The most amazing process. I've learned so much about myself. And you, you talk about learning not to be judgmental and that um, dealing with addiction is a whole different level of learning not to judge somebody Um, from the inside, you know, you're like, you struggle with other people judging you and what you're going through and the choices that you're making while you're in a crisis like that. Mm -hmm. And like in my situation, I just remember like, gosh, I like, I know this person. Mm -hmm. I know my husband. I know, like, I know him. I I don't know this monster. Mm -hmm. Well, he's in in the throes of addiction, but I remember having this like real struggle with wanting to make, the people who loved me and the people who were just trying to help me and protect me. I remember, and I still struggle with this to this day, like years later, wanting them to know that I appreciated what they were offering me, the the advice that they were giving and almost pushing me in the direction that they felt I needed to go. Mm -hmm. But then that struggle of, making sure that they know that I appreciate them and what they're trying to do for me, but also knowing it wasn't what was best for me mm-hmm. in my marriage. That was really, really challenging. And it's something I don't think a lot of people ex- experience that in that situation where you try not to judge other people but, and you don't want to be judged for the choices that you make but it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. Sometimes you're like, I need help. I need help. I need help. But then how many times do you put yourself back in the same situation? So Mm -hmm. I guess that's another example of nothing 
nothing stays the same for long, although it feels like a really long time sometimes. Yeah. So, and Shannon, that was such a meaningful thing to share. And I want to stay there for just a minute. You know, so many people that I know who either are addicts themselves or are spouses of addicts who didn't, as you mentioned earlier, didn't sign up for this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come from the spouse side, a spouse who quote unquote, didn't sign up for this and all of a sudden are totally thrown for a loop because of the actions of, of the addict in their life. So many times I hear this, it's not my problem. It's his problem or it's her problem and they need to take care of it themselves. Obviously that is not what has happened with you. Maybe it did initially. I don't know, but no. tell me your your walk through through that process where you maybe had a realization of no, they aren't my actions, but my part. I need some healing too, just as much as he does. It's really hard to answer that question without sounding like a stereotypical codependent person, but I'm going to try. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's hear it. I was raised Catholic, mm-hmm. and when we were getting married, Nick and I made the decision, like, we're not going through all the hoops to have. I've never questioned my relationship with God or my higher power, mm-hmm. but um, and you and I have had conversations about this, like going to church, the action of physically going to church to me, sometimes I struggle with. Mm-hmm. So long story short, we didn't get married in the Catholic church. We got married at this really old train station and one of my friends got ordained and whatever mm-hmm. it was it was fine I mean some of my family was upset that they got over it so mm-hmm. you take vows in sickness and in health and I think I think where people get caught up and where I struggled with the the 12-step programs that I worked mm-hmm. during that time was there's like there's a human piece to it and and there's vows I took and addiction is an illness mm-hmm. um, and there's science to to back that now mm-hmm. I mean we know enough about addiction now that through science it is it is truly a sickness mm-hmm. so for me it was not it wasn't a matter of will I it was how do I because there's so many pieces that are so challenging as watching somebody struggle with addiction. But um, the hardest thing for me was there were times that I felt that he had given up on himself completely. Mm-hmm. It's hard to have hope when the person that should have the most hope or faith like about themselves. You mentioned in that that you as the spouse of an addict yeah. worked some 12 step programs. Yes. Why did you do that? Uh, because people told me to, and I was desperate. And I remember going to my first meeting. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Oh my goodness. I left there so angry. Okay. Mm-hmm. My first meeting was at this a church um, in Tempe. Mm-hmm. And it was, I went at a period of time that my spouse was also sober, Uh um, said 
in that 15, 16 months of time. And um, I walked in, it was, <laughs> the first thing they read was the, the 12 step mm-hmm. at the beginning of the meeting. And I was like, uh, am I in the wrong meeting? Like, mm-hmm. cause I didn't, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. They read through the, tw- the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And the first, the first one is, um, that, that you're powerless over this. And I was like offended. I was yeah. like, hold on. Like, cause I, t- cause I was so ignorant to what I was there for. You know, right, like I was right. like, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I can go home and drink two glasses of wine and do my paperwork or do whatever and like pack lunches for tomorrow and relax. And, and I, you know me, I'm a very reactionary person. So I just, I mean, I didn't get up and storm out. I sat there, but immediately like I just shut down. I turned it off. I was just getting through the next hour. But then somebody stood and said, take what you take what you like and leave the rest. And that to me was like, okay, I don't have to believe at, at, at that time, my lack of understanding. I didn't know that I didn't understand, but I don't have to buy into all of this. Mm. Um, take what you want and leave the rest. And then talking to some people after the meeting, super welcoming. I wasn't in a position that I wanted to share at that point because my husband was, doing so well. I thought we were just kind of going through the motions and he's sober again and he has to work this 12-step program. And so I'm just here to be supportive. Mm. But um, in talking to people, um, one woman said to me, make sure that you try a bunch of different meetings because they're all different Mm -hmm. and you, you might get more from one in the group of people and the topic of discussion than others. So I remember leaving my first meeting like, well, check that box. I did it. And just being like, whatever, I don't have it. Like, I don't have, I'm not the one with a problem. Right. Right. It's not my problem. (laughs) But, but going back to meetings, this is so hard for me still to say out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, As the spouse of somebody who struggles with addiction, I have a, Peace, I play a role in that. Hmm. Whether that's really hard to say. And hmm. sometimes I'm like, yeah, I do. And other times I'm, there's no way. It's not my problem. Hmm. It's how it's your DNA. It's your this. It's your life experiences. It's your this. But, but and, and this, Shannon, doesn't point a finger at you or any other spouse of, a, of an addict. But you mentioned, you know, it's in your DNA. It's part of your life experience. Shannon, are you part of his life experience? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there's, I mean, we've all got, I'm not excusing addiction mm-hmm. by any means, right. but we've all got, we've all got our breaking point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned, <laughs> um, I might be a little bit of a controlling person, <laughs> maybe, I might like things just done just a certain way, my way or the highway. I will say that, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but I've had to, not I, we have had to work so hard at our marriage to get through life, but also the addiction piece and all of the consequences and choices that come with Mm. what happens when you're, in the throes of addiction, I guess. Like, I'm really proud of that. Yeah. 
and and I think if you're okay, I want to dig a little bit one more in one more place in what you shared okay. there, and okay. then we'll probably move on. You said in your first, well, actually two things, and they kind of coincide, I think. You said in your first meeting, when you sat down, they read the steps, and the first one is, I'm powerless over this. Right. Tell me about what you (laughs) thought about that. uh, As you look back at your life, what did powerless mean to you then, and what does it mean to you now? Powerless to me then was my will, my control. Powerless to me now is... I am most successful in all aspects of my life if I accept God's will and accept being powerless. Now, that being said, mm-hmm. like I still have to make choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, oh, still yeah. have to, I can hit snooze four times instead of once in the morning, you know, like, but like I still have to get up and go to work every day and I still have to feed our children and feed our dogs and like pay the bills. But, but when it comes to like the things that would normally stress me out to the point of like wanting to curl up into a ball, mm-hmm. powerless, I'm powerless because, because it's not, it's God's will. Mm. I, and I, and, and powerless to me is a choice. When I push my will, I'm just wasting energy. <laughs> like it's it's God's it's God's will. I don't know. That's what powerless yeah. means to me. I'm sure that uh, well, I know this from experience, but I'm sure you've experienced this too. When you share that concept of surrender, of powerlessness, of whatever it is that you might uh, relate it as, people look at you like, what the heck are you talking about? Are you are you a wimp that can't do anything on your own? How, how do you handle that when that happens? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just kind of shrug it. I think I just kind of shrug it off and go, like, I don't know. Cause I used to be that person. Like I went into those meetings and I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, again, I'm just being here to support my husband Mm -hmm. with, with this chip on my shoulder attitude that I didn't have anything to, to, to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't tell you like, Everybody talks about this aha moment where they mm-hmm. were like, or a God shot or whatever, you know, there's all these different terms for it. Right, right. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't remember what that was for me. Um, but I know that I have them all the time. Mm. Like I talked about this hike that I just did. Yeah. I was on this, like a cliff and everybody's just walking like it's no big deal. And I could see that I couldn't see the ground to the right of me. Mm. And I, my aunt was like, breathe. And I wondered, whatever, that's another time that I like, I love my aunt and I look up to her, but that's the time that I'm like, that's not even, that's not, I can't breathe right now. (laughs) But I just remember saying to myself, like, like God helped me through it. And it was the silliest thing, but I just kept saying to myself, I can do anything with God. I can do anything with God. I can do anything with God. Mm-hmm. And I was, I don't know if, I don't know if I was saying it out loud or in my head. I have no idea. I'm right. pretty sure I was holding my breath. So I was <laughs> probably saying it in my head, but like, it's things like that. Like even trivial things to anybody else. If you just accept that it's not like I accepted, I was, I thought I was going to die. Right. But I 
turn that over to God. Like if I'm going to die, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm going to die. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just kept saying like with God, all things are possible. And I kind of felt like I might not die anymore. Mm -hmm. right. And I walked along that, that bluff and made it. And everybody laughed at me when I got to the other side and it was, <laughs> it was good. That's a great experience. Um, I love how you shared that. One more question there. Why the heck did you go back to more meetings after the first one then? Was it because you felt like you had to or? or uh, because. After the first one, you're like, check. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. And I left there and I was just walking. I remember walking to the car with my husband and I was like, this is just like, just a waste of time. Like I could be doing this, this and this with my time, but you go to the meetings. And I had mentioned a couple of times that his relapse lasted 15 or 16 months and he would get like short periods of sobriety. Mm -hmm. So um, that was at the beginning of that. So he relapsed um, and I was in crisis and kind of just desperate. Um, and I was fortunate enough that some of the people in the program who were trying to support my husband, mm -hmm. their spouses and family members and friends reached out to help me and kind of dragged me to mm -hmm. more meetings. Um, I didn't go kicking and screaming, but I went out of just, I was not like, I was numb. I don't mm. remember mm. a lot of that time, mm. but I remember, I remember the meetings that like I got something out of and it took, it took me being in a crisis to go back to a meeting and it took me probably <laughs> two or three crises before I accepted that it was cool to go. It was cool. It was good. It was helpful to me yeah. to go when I wasn't in a crisis. Awesome. Shannon, this is good stuff so far. Your life is not boring. You're sharing very meaningful things. Um, and I really appreciate that. Now let's, unless there's anything else on that, on that topic that you want to share at this point, let's, let's jump to something else. What are your thoughts? I think I just, I can't, uh, I always get so emotional about this. Mm -hmm. I cannot stress enough how important it is not to judge people, especially in situations like that. Whether they're the, the addict, the wrongdoer from some people's perspective, or the a loved one of somebody trying to get through that. Because... It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't. Yeah. It wasn't supposed to happen to me. That's what everybody says, huh? Yep. And uh, sure enough, it happens. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. So uh, back at the beginning of, of this, when, when the first time you shared nothing stays the same for long, you also mentioned that you do a gratitude journal with your children. Yes. Tell me about that. What is that? And tell me why you do that. It's just this little journal that I got online. Mm -hmm. um, and I do that with my children because, because we don't sit down as a family every single night and talk about like what, what you read in parenting blogs about talk about your day. What was the best part of your day? And what could you make better about your day tomorrow? Like that's just not my reality. Mm. I would like to say that it is what we do, but right now our, Hall our, our Halloween decorations are all over our 
our table and we live at the kitchen counter and some of us stand and some of us sit at stools and whatever. So um, the three minute little journal mm-hmm. for kids that we do is just, it's kind of, I want them to, to know that every day is a gift and, and there's something to be grateful for every single day. Mm-hmm. Even if that morning I was yelling because they wouldn't get out of bed or didn't put the, wouldn't let me brush their hair or cry. Like, I don't know. I just, it's important to me to, to actually, it's important to both of us. It's not me. It's important to my husband and myself that we teach our kids to be grateful and, and pay attention to all the positive things that are happening every single day, because it's so easy to get caught up in all the negative. Mm. I feel like you have to make an effort a lot of times to find the positive, but um, through journaling, if it becomes a habit or a routine, then it becomes natural. And it, you, my hope is that it doesn't take an effort down the road as they grow up to be grateful for mm. stuff and things. So as you do that, you sit down with your kids and you say, okay, uh, okay, oldest daughter, um, yeah, youngest daughter or whatever. What happened yeah. today that you're grateful for? What did you see today? Is that how that works or what, how do you do um, So it's this little journal and it's, there's pictures, there's like faces in it. Um, and every, I think it's the same, there's like two, no, they're all the same pages. So it'll say today I'm grateful for, and you can draw a picture or you can list two or three things. Mm-hmm. And then it'll say this person brought me joy today. Mm-hmm. And then they just have to fill in a person's name and how they feel and then draw or write about the best part of your day. So mm. look, I've got this little journal that does what I should do as their mom, but I don't. So, so it's them that's doing, <laughs> you're not doing it at this point. No, we sit down. I mean, they, they've done it a few days uh-huh. like at a time so that they know what, what's expected. Cause each, each page is the same page mm-hmm. after or day after day. Right. Um, and at the top it's, you know, you circle, is it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? It's really, it's a great journal because our kids are four and six. So drawing pictures and yeah. minimal writing. It's awesome. Right. So what do you do in your own life to see the good that's happening? Is that kind of how you do it is through their eyes at this point? Or it, Yes, this journal forces me to stop and like, I don't, Sometimes I have to give them an example. So I'll Mm -hmm. say, oh, this person, you know, made me feel happy today. And well, why mom? And and explaining that to them. So sadly, I am very guilty of being too occupied. If I I didn't stop and do this with them, I don't, it's do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah. Kind of what I'm doing with them. (laughs) So it helps me. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I I have found that gratitude is a big part of my own life. It's a struggle. And so as I journal every night, the last sentence is always today I'm grateful for. And sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's a big thing. And sometimes it's that the deodorant. Today today I'm grateful for Right. No, I get it. Sometimes some days it is more challenging than others to find the words or, or what you're grateful for. And I always Sadly, I'm like, this is so hard to admit, (laughs) whatever. Too often for me, it takes 
something catastrophic or somebody being in a crisis or something terrible happening Mm -hmm. for me to stop and go, the four of us woke up today and -hmm. we're healthy and we have a roof over our head. Like I aspire to not be that way. I hope I work towards not needing those type of reminders to be grateful every single day. Yeah. No, and I think I think most people are just like you and just like me. That most days it's it's like uh, someone. And I've heard this from a lot of people, but someone recently said it's really easy to be negative. And I think you actually said this at the beginning of the conversation. It's really easy to be negative or see the negative. It takes more work to be positive or see the positive. And uh, most people, myself included, are lazy and want the easy way. You know, so. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you. I don't think you're lazy. <laughs> I think we've got like we prioritize. And yeah. I think that's I think we prioritize what we think is the most important way to spend our time from day to day. And I think sadly that seeing the good and the gratitude stuff, like I that just in our perfect world, we say it's a priority. Mm-hmm. And it would be. But I'm a sucker for life, life, just life stuff. Mm. Like the dog peed on the floor. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm done writing in my gratitude journal. I got to go clean up the dog pee rather right. than making that a, a true priority. So I don't know. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I, I, I'll, instead of saying that I'm lazy, I'll start saying I prioritize differently. <laughs> but you want it to be a priority. I don't know. You yeah, want it yeah. To be no, a I hear you. no, I hear you. No, that's good. I like that. All right. So early on in this conversation, you mentioned that you changed majors in college. Yes. Tell me about what you do and why you do it. So why I, so I chose to change my major while spending time with my grandfather in the hospital after his stroke. Um, Just, he was getting occupational therapy, physical therapy, and a speech therapist saw him. And I was intrigued by the the different diets and the different foods and the blended diets that they were giving him. And then um, the things that the speech language pathologist would have him practice before he went home. Mm-hmm. So my idea was I'm switching my major and I'm going to work with adults who've had brain injuries, strokes, you know, and that is not what I do. <laughs> I work with children. <laughs> so, but that was my original plan. Um, but you are a speech language pathologist, correct? Yeah. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Tell me why you ended up with children, working with children rather than with adults as we stand right now. I was still living back in Pennsylvania, finishing up graduate school, and my brother was living out here. So I came to visit him and I thought, I'm just going to set up a job interview or two if I can and just see what's out there. Mm-hmm. And I was offered a position um, working with children. And I was like, well, okay. I mean, in grad school, you do your two externships, you know, one with adults and one with children. And I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed working with children. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't what I had planned, mm-hmm. but I was, I mean, that prompted me. I went back home and I was like, well, I can do, I can do that for a year. I could mm-hmm. go out there and try it for a year to Arizona. 
-hmm. Pennsylvania will be here a year from now. Like it's not going to slide into the ocean like California might or something. Like Pennsylvania (laughs) will be here. Um, And that was 15 and a half years ago. Hmm. I'm still here. And how do you feel about still being in Arizona? I, okay. So still being in Arizona, I struggle with most days. Mm -hmm. Um, Arizona does not feel like home to Mm -hmm. me. I don't feel a a super strong sense of community in the different places that I've lived in Arizona. Mm -hmm. The way that I felt about Pennsylvania, the Pittsburgh area. However, going back to Pittsburgh now over the last 15 and a half years, it's changed a ton. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I could go back there and necessarily have this feeling of community that I miss. Mm. I think everything's just, everything's growing and changing. Mm. Um, Working with children, they're germ dispensing little monsters, but, but they, like, there is nothing, it's cold and flu season, that's why I say that. Right, right. But there is nothing more rewarding than, than getting to see these kids overcome things that we take for granted, which is really cool. I think this is where I'm supposed to be. I think that's a great, uh, great way to, to say that. Yeah. Um, can you, are you willing to share one or two experiences you've had with a kid where you've seen like a victory and that kid is like, wow, now the sky's the limit. You know, they were running up against a major obstacle and all of a sudden they, they, they found something and it helped them, you know, gain hope for the next obstacle in their path. Yes. Um, this, and I don't work with this child anymore because he is a young adult now and he's one of the first clients I had in my caseload. But I stay in contact with his, 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 his parents have become very close friends of ours. But, um, he got a job like, so he, he got a job at Walmart getting the carts out of the parking. I don't know what the term is. The, uh-huh. the, the cart guy, he brings right. the carts back in. Um, and he struggled with that a lot because he's a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. And he, he knew he was capable of more, but because of some of his social pragmatic obstacles, he was kind of stuck there. He was stuck yeah. getting the carts and returning the carts. They opened this really cool restaurant in Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Um, called Not Your Typical Deli. Mm. And it's been open now probably for a couple of years. And I have been on, his name is Oliver. And I know that his family would be okay with me saying that. Okay. Um, he, you know, when we talk or whatever, I'd be like, why don't you just go there? Like there's, they've hired all these kids. Like there's so many kids who have the same diagnosis that you do and have the same struggles that you do. And so it's been like two years. Mm. He finally went. Um, and it wasn't him that, that called me afterwards. He, he sent me a text message, but mm-hmm. his mom called in tears. Like she feels like he finally has some independence and opportunity at not pushing carts for the rest of his life. So, um, that's really cool for me because it's been something in the making for the last 
I mean, I, I met him when he was two mm-hmm. and he didn't have any words and watched him go from two and not having any words and holding like trains in either of his hands all the time to um, just reciting clips from children's movies or cartoons mm-hmm. um, to being mainstream, you know, going from a, um, a classroom with all children with special needs to being mainstreamed. And mm. I don't like, it's just cool to see the progression. I don't know that there's like one aha moment. I think with some of the little kids that I work with, um, it's really neat to see like selfishly when their parents send me a video of them getting on the school bus to go to school or I don't know just why am I so emotional anyway (laughs) because this is meaningful stuff (laughs) okay my life is so boring though I'm like you got me crying Justin okay (laughs) Mm, that's really neat and and we've talked about that you work with kids now most of your work is not done with kids who have a hard time saying their g's or their d's or their you know, T's. These are more involved kids. Tell us a little bit about that and how how that differs, how that might differentiate what you do with what most people think a speech therapist, a speech language pathologist does. Um, I feel like it takes a lot out of like I don't want to sound like a complainer, mm-hmm. but it takes a lot, it takes a lot out of me as a person because these kids are not they're not kids who can't pronounce their R's and L's and S sounds. They, I mean, everything is a struggle. So everything is a struggle for their families, I think. And I'm not good at not taking on other people's stress. So there's days that I come home from work and I'm like, did I help anybody today? Like, did I... Did I do anything today? Because for a lot of these kids, the progress is so, so slow and so dependent on so many other factors that I don't have control over or not, or their mom and dad might not have control over that it, it takes a long time. But like if I stop and I think about Oliver, it's worth it. That's awesome. Anything else about your profession, about what you do for a living that you'd like to, to share about maybe other experiences or anything like that before we... We, as a society, we're so busy. And I mentioned earlier, we don't sit down to eat dinner together. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe once, twice a month. Okay. But um, I know that like going into people's homes all day long every day, that that's not just my life. That's everybody's life. And then you mm-hmm. add um, any child with any sort of special needs, that makes it I can't imagine, like I, mm-hmm. I tried to stop and put myself in somebody else's shoes. We're just busy. Mm-hmm. We're just, we are too busy. And you think about slowing down, but then what are you going to sacrifice mm. to achieve slowing down? So what is the fix to that? Yeah. What do you think the fix is to... I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm still the hamster running in the wheel. But (laughs) if I ever figure out a way off the wheel without the world falling apart. Yeah, the world falling apart, I will let you know. Awesome. (laughs) 
All right, Shannon. So I want to do, and I do this with most people I talk to, and I think it's really a cool exercise. Let's project out like 50 plus years into the future. Okay. Uh, let's envision your children and grandchildren, and yeah, maybe, maybe not great grandchildren at that point, sitting around and saying, hmm, what would, what, what does grandma Shannon want to share with me? What is, what was most important to her? What made her tick? Um, so what are some words of wisdom or some advice you'd like to give those grandchildren, great grandchildren down the line decades from now? Like just don't be a butthead. Hmm. That's all. Like just wake up every day and make an effort not to be a jerkosaurus. Hmm. I know that's not no. super like, that's not really deep. No, it is. <laughs> but just wake up and like make an effort not to be a jerk. Hmm. Why is that important to you to share with your posterity? Because you look around today at people and like everybody's angry or people like me who struggle to like, it's not natural for me to be grateful for everything mm -hmm. but I feel like if everybody just tried not to be a jerk for the day I feel like that's just like the small like that's a small piece of like you hear all this things like pay it forward or like mm -hmm. oh somebody bought your Starbucks and the Starbucks line in front of you and you should buy it for the person behind him that's I mean that's phenomenal mm -hmm. but that's that's more effort than just don't be a jerk you know, I, I don't think we can hold everybody to that expectation, but I, I think it's fair to say you can wake up and make an effort not to be a jerk. Mm, I like that. Anything else that you feel would be uh, important to you to share? Something that, you know, me is meaningful to you that you'd like to get out there? No, nothing that's not too opinionated. <laughs> You got too many opinions that you don't want to throw out there, huh? Too many. I, I'm afraid. Like it goes back to that whole being judged thing. Mm. I don't know. Mm. I'm not. I'm not super afraid anymore of being judged by other people because people yeah. are going to do that no matter what. I have this, and I can't remember all the words to it, but there's this quote um, that I read all the time by Mother Teresa, and it's basically just it's about it's between you and God. It's not. It's not between you and them. So it's like what you build in a day somebody will destroy overnight and do good anyway like it's basically be you and do good things anyway and at the end people are gonna not like you because you made every effort to be a decent human yeah. but at the end it's not about you and those people it's you and god so um for me and i'm not like you know me i'm not like a super super I wouldn't call myself a super religious person. I just have a, I feel like I'm in a good place with God and I would encourage everybody to try to do that. I don't think there's the path is the same for everyone. I, I know the path isn't the same for everyone, but I think there's different ways to, to get there. So yeah. that's awesome. Awesome. Shannon, this has been so much fun and it's, <laughs> It's been meaningful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Justin. Well, there it is. What a meaningful conversation. Lots of emotion, lots of realness, lots of 
experiences that are helpful for me to see from her perspective, and I hope for thing for you to also see. Now go and check out other episodes of the Journey Through Life podcast. We've had some fantastic ones. The last handful of conversations have been fabulous, as have all of them from previous, but the last handful to me have been ones that have been life-altering in many cases. So I'd invite you to go check those out. Anyways, thanks again. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.